This is the best album ever. The show that separates the wheat from the chaff, the signal from the noise, the, hey, that's a pretty good album, from the, holy crap, that's the greatest album I've ever heard in my life. I'm your host, Ben Helms, and today we're adding one of the most influential, quintessential records from the alt-rock genre, bleeding into the grunge, metal circles. It kind of, yeah, goes beyond all of those genres. But uh, today with my guest, we'll dive deep into that album uh, and cover everything from the writing, recording, and reception of the album, uh, as well as some personal anecdotes that might just push this album into the halls of some of the greatest albums ever. My guest for that journey today is poet, musician, and teacher TJ McLemore. Uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today, sir? Thanks, Ben. It's good to be here. I'm I'm doing well. It's been uh, it's a it's a it's a good Friday. <laughs> it is. It is a good Friday, definitely. Uh, real quick, when I asked you, or I, I is actually Jason who suggested you be on the podcast. Uh, what your favorite album, or what you thought the best album ever was? How quickly did you land on this album? You know, it took me a while. I I had a I have a long list, and and you know, uh, full full honesty, I don't I don't know if I actually have a favorite record. Okay. Um, I, I ran through just the different um, I guess I guess the different eras in my in my development as a as a listener and as as a musician as a person and uh, you know eventually landed on melancholy but I, I I had to you know I had to I had to work through and I I know you guys did neutral milk hotels in the airplane over the sea like yeah. hugely um, uh, watershed record for me uh, oh, nice. Ra- Radiohead's Kid A Modest Mouse's Lonesome Crowded West. Um, Pink Floyd's Animals. I mean, there, there. I could go on and on. These these records that that changed me in some way. A lot of the bands you picked are some of my favorite bands, but they're not the albums that I would have picked from those bands. So nicely done. Which I which I love. <laughs> I love that. And that's yeah. and that's uh, and you never know which album it is that's gonna that's gonna be the one that that uh, that stands out over the over time. For for me with the Pumpkins, it was Melancholy, and it it came out when I was thirteen years old. It's that album. It's that album that just that just hit the sweet spot of of uh, of my developing musical taste, and so I, I just decided to go with melancholy. Yeah. So you picked. So we let everyone know it's, it's Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy, and the Infinite Sadness. It came out. In October '95, I was 10 at the time, so similar age, and I I definitely don't remember the day it came out, but I remember the next 10 years listening to the radio, <laughs> and it seemed like <laughs> yeah, some track of this album was on the like radio that. at any given time. Uh, and th- yeah, the album had you know it was 28 tracks. It was a two-part album. Uh, it w- included six singles, and yeah, I mean, everything from if you're listening to this and you don't know the album well, "Bullet with Butterfly Wings" was the the first big single. Uh, 1979 is their biggest single ever. Yeah. Uh, Zero, Tonight Tonight, Muzzle, and 33 were some of the other ones. But yeah, this one is just hit after hit after hit. I mean, really, and and it's still uh, the the radio songs were just a smaller percentage of of the uh, of the overall tracks than than other records that they released, just because yeah. there was so much on it, and it was it was trying to do so much. And I think that's part of why I love it as well. It's, it is overwhelming. I do want to say that because there are. 28 tracks that I didn't necessarily give all of my love and attention to every single song on this. Uh, but we will we will go track by track through all 28, at least to mention them. We probably won't dive deep into more than 10 or so of them, uh, just because this isn't a three-hour podcast. So that would be pretty sweet. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's another show, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just to give kind of some more 
objective kind of like this is what happened to the album when i was doing some of the research it, it had seven grammy nominations uh nine vma nominations it was the band's first group of songs that were played on top 40 stations which was kind of weird i think for the alt rock genre as a whole and and it was this weird time where it was after it was a year after kurt cobain died right and, yeah, uh, yeah 10 and nevermind came out five years before so it's kind of leaving this at least like nationally this like grunge awareness and grunge movement is kind of starting to die down and grunge is becoming something else and i think pumpkins were the ones rising up and saying hey grunge can be this and it's this melodic uh, orchestral punk sometimes ballad sometimes like acoustic sometimes and this album i think more than any of the other pumpkin albums exemplifies that the diversity of the pumpkins, but also the diversity of what music became after the grunge movement, which was like, it, your band doesn't just have to be grunge. Your band can be grunge one song, acoustic love ballad the next song, drum <laughs> machine electronica the next song, and you can still be a band with fans. Yeah, and I think I think part of what was happening is that they were trying to. They, I think I think uh, the Pumpkins and Corgan specifically knew yeah. that 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 era, especially with with Kurt Cobain's death, was 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 ending. Yeah, and sort of sending out feelers in all directions. Right, if you think of art as being this thing that sort of grows in all directions at once, and then looking back at history, we have a clear direction for the way that music evolved. But they're but they're doing. I mean, they even had a they had a couple of metal tracks on the record. Yeah, yeah, uh, a, a couple of of, of almost. Uh, um, chamber pop, like fairy, fairy pop, yep. sort of songs yep. on this record, uh, and th- and then of course hinting at the, the the future electronica direction that the Pumpkins would take yep. as well. It, uh, I, I totally agree with you. It's a it's a um, it's a bizarre collection of songs in some ways. Yeah, and it it sold over ten million copies to date uh, to today. Wow, uh, and which it's it's which is puts it diamond status, which I didn't know was a thing. Uh, <laughs> didn't either. It's, it's either just yeah their Wikipedia page of countries that it's gone in either gold or platinum is in is just insane it's just like long list of dozens of countries uh and like you you were saying pink floyd uh not the wall what would you say animals is one of your favorite albums of all time it is yeah. Uh, the wall he he called this album corgan sorry when i say he today just assume that or when i say it's, it's even when i say the pumpkins assume that i'm just saying corgan right <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly uh because actually it came out that corgan re-recorded a lot of the other parts of all of, of the other guitar and bass parts for previous albums. And this was one of the first albums, first pumpkins albums that he didn't do that on. Which I think actually I, I knew that. And of course uh, that was the big rumor about Siamese dream is that he, uh, yeah. is that Corgan had gone back and re-recorded and just layered guitar yeah. after guitar after guitar on. T- and that's part of the sound, right? This is just like saturated yeah. wall of, of, uh, of big muff guitars. Yeah. Um, if, if you're not a musician, that's, that's the, that's the distortion pedal that, that is that pumpkin sound, uh, that, that, that drives a lot of it is that big muff pedal. And, uh, yeah, but on, on melancholy, we have this sort of opening up of, uh, you even hear James Iha and, and Darcy beginning to sing and, yeah. and, uh, maybe, maybe a little more of a band effort, which I, uh, maybe some of the diversity, uh, comes from that. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. And the, he, oh, what I was saying before, sorry, is that uh, Corgan called this the this album "The Wall for Generation X," referring to Pink Floyd's seminal 1979 album. This is the one 20 years later, basically that that, would, that has kind of held up. I don't know when he said that quote, but I'm, I don't think it was when the album came out or when they were working on it. I'm guessing it was probably you know when they re-released it in 2012 or or did the remastered version or something like that. Right, uh, but yeah. Other kind of info about it is they they ditched Butch Vig. Butch, Butch Vig is famous for being that kind of 
uh, big rock sound as well. He's the Foo Fighters producer. He he, he produced Siamese Dream and a couple other uh, Pink Floyd albums. Or not Pink Floyd. Huh? That was good. <laughs> Smashing Pumpkins albums. Uh, and they went with a couple other. They went with Flood and a couple other producers. Flood. Yeah, but Flood was kind of the, the most famous of them. And he was the one who suggested they <laughs> basically, hey, Corgan, why don't you let the other bandmates play stuff and write stuff with you? <laughs> uh, which which I don't think Corgan was a fan of the more I read about it. But, I mean, it's made him lots of money. So <laughs> despite breaking up several times since then, I think that he's probably happy that decision was made. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, yeah, and that's uh, we can we can talk about Corgan later on. Yeah, but, I'm um, sure he'll come up. I, I, yeah, yeah, I'd say I'd say I chose this record despite that uh, yeah. the personality behind it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So after getting into the the album and the track list, after recording and rehearsals for weeks and weeks, they had they ended up with 57 finished songs that they had to narrow oh. down, which makes more sense why they had a double album. But they narrowed that down half, cut half of those songs, uh, and they've since then have released a few here and there. Uh, there's you know there's LP versions and there's the remaster version in 2012. So they released a couple here and there, but landed on 28 final songs for the two part LP. Uh, and it has the, the album has the day and night motif. I believe the the first 14 songs are called Dawn Till Dusk or Dawn to Dusk, and the uh, tracks 15 through 28 are called Twilight to Starlight. Uh, and I think there's either other breakdowns depending on what version of the album you have, sub breakdowns of that. Uh, but yeah, it kind of definitely has more of a an album feel than modern music does, which again is, is kind of what this podcast is all about, right? We're getting back to albums, not just singles. Exactly. And kind of how artists, why artists organize albums the way they do. Corgan again, also said that it's based on the human condition of mortal sorrow, that this album is based on that. (laughs) Does that or the, the day night motif at all impact your view of the album or the songs or the arrangement or anything? I think, I think so. Um, Even, even as a, uh, even as a, teenager I, I i got a lot of the thematic elements that that they were playing with mm-hmm. uh, and i i think i think in retrospect it, it seems a little precious um the 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 day to night themes yeah. are uh, they're not really present in in the actual track listing right. i think i think that i i think that the progression of the record is is a musical one and i think it's i think it's i think they arranged the tracks the way they should have yeah um but but uh, I think the first clue, of course, that that this isn't going to be um, a a um, a theme that is stuck to throughout the record is that we have dawn to dusk. The second song on the record is tonight tonight. <laughs> and so point. so you're already like okay, well, so I, I, this is this is a this is a it's a it's a conceptual uh, framework that they they're not taking too seriously. But the the double album as a whole does does cohere in all sorts of ways. I think, especially in the in the way that the each LP begins and ends, right? Yeah. Um, and we and we can and we can talk about that more later. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think for me personally, just this album I grew up with it again. Like I said, being on the radio all the time. Uh, Jason used to play this game with me. He's four years older than me when we were growing up. So or when we were growing up and now, and we, he, <laughs> he used to play this game where a song would come on the radio and he would be like, "Oh yeah, who's this?" Who's this? And I'd be like, I don't, I don't care. I'm over here listening to my like Reliant K <laughs> or Switchfoot. Like, I don't care. Or I'm 11 and he's 15, right? So he cares about music Switch and pop culture. And I'm, yes. Right? And I'm 11. I don't care about music <laughs> at that point. And he's like, who is this? And I'd be like, I don't know. The Chili Peppers? Nope. Next. Who is it? And I'd be like, Bush? I, I don't know. who. It, and like, he just tortured me with this game that finally, again, when he, when he went off to college and I was 14 and I'm starting to like learn about music and everything, I, it was this game that I missed 
uh, as soon as he <laughs> left my life, of course. Uh, but at the same time, th- this is one of the reasons that made me fall in love with Smashing Pumpkins and learn to differentiate the sound of different producers and different bands and different lead singers and that kind of stuff. So uh, I hate you, Jason, but thank you for doing that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, older, older siblings are such jerks. I yeah. did the exact same thing to my sister. Oh, and, man. And she she never grew to love it, I don't yeah. think. Yeah. <laughs> she, I think she ended up not liking music as much as I do as a result. <laughs> oh, wow. That's <laughs> yeah, rough. Yeah. That's rough. It's one or the other. It either pushes you further into it or pushes you away from it. Uh, but exactly. yeah, but I, I remember this album be. I remember Jason's double CD set. It was weird, right? It didn't fit in the normal CD cases. Uh, right. <laughs> I remember the, it, the, the, the double jewel case. The double, thank the you. The double jewel case. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It was this weird time post analog, but before like purely digital where we had like digital physical things called CDs <laughs> <laughs> uh, for people listening to this 50 years from now, hundred years from now. Um, and I just remember this album being this like, almost like, um, another pink, the third pink Floyd album we've mentioned today, but I was gonna say dark side of the moon where it was this momentous yeah. thing you sit down to listen to melancholy like it is not just i mean again we you know you hear 1979 all the time on the radio or tonight tonight on the radio but when you're actually sitting down to listen to it that's what you do you don't just have it on in the background and that was something that was instilled in me from jason for sure but uh yeah this was just an archetypal iconic hard rock album that i grew up with and even though I I don't list it on, as one of my top 10 favorite albums because I think personally it just didn't impact me. Uh, I think lyrically mainly would be the reason for that. It definitely impacted my musicianship just because it, I couldn't get away from it. And I, I do enjoy so many of the songs on the album. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Any other, you want to jump into the track list? Absolutely. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say I think it, it calls back to those days when uh, you could you could put on headphones and, and lay on the old nineties, you know, the, the white nineties sort of plush carpet on, on, on your bedroom oh, floor yeah, for sure. with headphones on and just listen, listen to music for two hours, uh, at a, at a stretch. Yep. Um, ah, and you know, pound, pound your fist on the ground a little bit. I thought you were going to say pound Mountain Dew, but, but both. <laughs> well, and that too, <laughs> Mountain Dew and Sour Patch Kids. Oh man. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's the dream. That's the middle school dream right there. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go through it again. There might be some tracks where we just say the title of, and we move on just cause there are 28 of them, but uh, we did star a few ones, some of the singles, and then some that kind of stood out to us personally that we wanted to mention. But yeah, the first song is the the titular track, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Uh, it's kind of like this lovely, relaxing piano with some synths, orchestra. I think it's a theremin I heard in there. I think there's a theremin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And some melody that I, I couldn't pick out. It seems like it's echoing some other song on the album, but I, when I listened to it, I couldn't quite pick out what song it was doing. Exactly. The in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's it's the theremin that's doing the. You know, I think it's actually echoing some of the melodies that come back in tonight, tonight. Oh, okay. Uh, in the next track, yeah. that's I, I hear echoes of tonight, tonight, and uh, uh, it also um, this first track echoes the the very, very last track uh, on on the double LP. That piano part comes back inverted uh, in in the very very oh, final song, nice. okay. um, which is called "Farewell and Good Night." Uh, so so the record sort of begins and ends uh, in in the same place, right? You have the dawn to dusk and the twilight to starlight, and the twilight uh, it's almost like the sun goes uh, goes back down uh, at the end of the at the end of the record, which is great. Yeah, um, 
I, I uh, actually have a special relationship with with this track. Um, I, I think I sort of rediscovered this album in college. Okay. And I was taking piano lessons in college. And, and I actually found the sheet music for this, this piano uh, in Melancholy and Infinite Sadness. That's cool. And, um, and, learn, and learned to play this. And it's actually a, it's a, it's a beautiful piece of music just, just from a, comp, a compositional standpoint. It's, it's really a well-made uh, piano song. That's um, cool. Yeah. Is, yeah. is Corgan playing it? I meant to look that up, but I didn't. He does, yeah. Corgan, he plays all the Corgan pianos? Okay. plays all the piano. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is gorgeous. I mean, there's so many pianos all over the whole album. But yeah, this is definitely one that stands out. Uh, and then Tonight Tonight. One of the biggest singles. Again, I'm going to say that a couple of times, but one, one of the singles <laughs> I'll say, right? <laughs> There's six of them. This this huge single, and and of course, somehow in my mind, this song has has uh, become inseparable from the music video that they made with it. Which I don't is even remember the music of, video. It's this. It's this almost um, uh, pa- like uh, paper animated uh, joy ver- journey to the moon, voyage. Oh, to the moon. cool. Okay. Um, uh, with, with all sorts of like weird, weird space, uh, creatures. And I haven't seen it in years and years, but it's, it's, it's just this very trippy, dreamy, um, um, almost turn of the century. It has, it has a, it, it has a, you know, an early 1900s. Black and white. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Black and white, black and white sort of, sort of, um, flawed animation feel to it. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, the, the strings on this, um, I, I think make the track. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you'd agree with me. I, I would. I was thinking about it when I as I listened to it a dozen times this week or whatever. Where there's so many rock bands that try to do the the orchestra, the string thing. First one that comes to mind is Metallica's S and M, where right. they they do that, and it's it's always cool, right? It's in the sense that it's like, oh, it's bigger, like it's adding more to these songs that we enjoy. But this seems like I can't imagine this song without that, like especially because it starts the song. But it seems like it's so integral to the sound of this whole album but specifically this song that it it carries the song more than any other singular thing Yeah, and oftentimes I think strings get used for uh, either like, um, you know, Metallica used those strings to, to add sort of this um, almost almost pomposity. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> for lack of a yeah, better yeah, term yeah, exactly. <laughs> to the metal. Or the strings get used as in sort of a, bala- uh, uh, in a ballad sense, right? You, you, you end up with this sort of sad love ballad. Right. Um, but Tonight Tonight is this, uh, just this triumphant um, string part, which is, which is really cool, I think. And there's like timpanis and other things going on. It's not just like, hey, let's throw on some some violins and some cellos just to like beef up this lighter part. Like it's it's a full orchestra at the beginning. At least it sounds like it sounds huge. It is. It, it, it's a it's a huge um, and it's huge, but it's not it's not um, I don't think it's threateningly huge. I think it's I think no, it's no. A, I mean, full, it, though. Yeah. Yeah. It, it almost feels it almost feels like a. Like a <laughs> don't, uh, springtime of a song. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. So I, I think Jelly Belly, the third track, is is their way of saying like, yes, we're still smashing pumpkins. <laughs> <laughs> Right, like this one, and then uh, "Tales of Scorched Earth" off the second uh, second half of the album are like these. When I was listening to them, I was like, "Yeah, this is what my mom would think of when if I was like, hey, are you listening to Smashing Pumpkins?'" Or like, "Hey, that sounds like Smashing Pumpkins." Like, it's this like crazy metal, off the wall drums, distorted the fuzz. Right, it's the uh, the big muff pedal, the fuzzy guitars. Yep. 
and just like crazy solos throughout, maybe some octave pedals, and then whispering like melodies on the verses <laughs> and like whiny choruses. <laughs> where I'm like, I and that's not to disparage the song at all, but that to me is like, oh yeah, this is quintessential Smashing Pumpkins. Quintessential Pumpkins, and just and just in case we thought that that things were going to get too pretty after yes. all of those yeah. all those lovely string parts in tonight tonight, or too poppy, right? Uh, as well, uh, Jelly Belly kind of lets itself wander a little bit, as as the pumpkin songs tend to do, yep. right? And then, and to me, Zero just brings it home. I, this I hate seeing one of the, the single is one of my favorite songs, but I'm going to say that a couple times. But Zero to me, that intro. Is up there with um, oh, what's that Bush song? Uh, Machine Head. I was going to say Everything Zen, but yeah, oh, yeah. Everything Zen too, man. Oh gosh, but yeah, there's <laughs> just certain guitar distorted guitar intros to '90s songs where I'm like, yep, like I'm in my happy place. Everyone leave me alone. I like everything is amazing. It's the apex of music to me, and the intro to Zero is like that for me. I totally agree. And, you know, I got this record uh, when I, again, when I was 13. Yeah. And I also, in the in the same year, I got my first electric guitar. Oh, nice. What was it? With my, it, it was a, it was an Epiphone uh, Les Paul copy. Oh, um, nice. I went SG yeah, with yeah. my first. Epiphone SG. Oh, I love, I love the Epiphone SG. Yeah. That's uh, one, of, one of my bandmates played that guitar for years solid, and years. Solid. Uh, solid guitar. But uh, yeah, so. On my Les Paul, this this of course was one of the first heavily heavily distorted tracks that I that I started trying my hand at, and it blew my mind that you could go uh, na 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 and then yes. run your finger along that E string uh, without pushing down on it and make that echoey ghost sound yes. right with the with the distortion that they get and and I fig- I assumed that was some sort of fancy effect that I right. didn't have right and I didn't real and I didn't realize that you could just make that with distortion it blew my mind um so I I obviously fell in love with this track yeah I think the other reason I fell in love with this track was for its um it felt dangerous to me as a as a 13 year old uh growing up in the south inside a southern baptist church yeah uh, um, and, and you have Billy Corgan, um, you know, thrashing about with these, with the, the, also we should note that this song's guitar solos, um, they were on the radio. I can't, I still yeah. can't believe when you listen back to these flailing wild, a melodic guitar solos, this was a hit on the radio for God's yeah. sake, especially coming from like Pearl Jam uh, uh, what is the other band I'm thinking of? Uh, Guns N' Roses solos, Pearl Jam solos, which are these beautiful hard rock solos, but aren't this messy, distorted, feedbacking ones that are on this album. Yeah, it's they're almost nodding forward to to what would become noise rock. Yeah, right? in, yeah. In, in in the early two thousands, and they're they're just they're just their own thing. Anyway, that felt dangerous, but also lyrically. Everything cuts out, and he just and he just starts screaming. Uh, what is it? Emptiness is loneliness, and loneliness is cleanliness. Cleanliness is godliness, and God is empty, just like me. Yeah. And um, boy, I would yell along with that, and I'd feel a little guilty. Yeah, and man. I, man, it it just got all sorts of things going going on in me. Oh, dude, same. Yeah, definitely understand the the growing up in the church context and singing singing alt rock stuff. That's just like, oh, should I be singing this out loud? I don't care. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, Billy. God is empty. Oh, okay, uh, I don't know. I'll, maybe he means. I'll believe maybe he's being ironic. Good to yell that though. <laughs> That's true. We're working yeah. through some stuff, you know. 
We're working through it, and and uh, yeah, Billy Billy helped me help me through some stuff. Yeah, when, yeah, I was, yeah. when I was a teenager, I mean, I think the guitars and mainly just like the tone of the guitars on this album make yeah. me want to be a better musician and a better producer, but also want to make me like give up on any musical endeavor for the rest of my life because I'm like, oh, okay, like the best stuff's been done. I'm good. Exactly. I mean, you know, say what you will about uh, about Corgan. I know, I know, he's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, speci- specifically, his voice, which we can yeah, talk about yeah, more yeah. later. Uh, well, well, I mean, actually, here while we're on sure. zero, I mean, it, it gets whiny, yeah. right? I mean, his his voice is very nasal. It's very abrasive, and and uh, I think I think that's part of the effect of the music. But say, again, say what you will about him, but he is a phenomenal guitar player. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe the best, uh, maybe the best guitarist of, of the nineties for my money, just in terms of the, the structures, uh, present in his songs, but then, but then just these weird, weird solos that he would play were just like nobody else. You can, like you were saying earlier, you can tell immediately who's playing the guitar. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought it was cool that, that James, Iha, Iha, I don't know. Yeah. Iha. Iha, Okay. Said that he was happy with how the album came out because he was able to take credit for half of the guitar solos as the lead guitarist (laughs) in the band. I got he got half, he the, got half solos. the solos. Half of them are, are Billy, and half of them are James. So I guess compared to Siamese Dream, where Billy re- recorded all of James's parts, Everything. he's pretty happy yep. to get half of them. <laughs> Man, all right. So track five, uh, here's no why, which is kind of a, gets back to the slower, more melodic stuff. Still has some fuzz and some yelling in the in the choruses, but uh, it has a, another, of course, kick-ass guitar solo in the end. Uh, oh, yeah. I miss the '90s, but uh, and then uh, another single, track six, "Bullet with Butterfly Wings." The world is a vampire. Sent to oh man, "Bullet with Butterfly Wings." Uh, despite of my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. Oh, right there, there's your there's your anthem for the for the '90s. Right, grunge oh, yeah. grunge is ending, but it's not over. It's it's <laughs> yeah. The the world is a vampire, and that whiny Corgan voice to start the song to me is it's similar to Zero, right? Where it just like puts me in the zone of like, oh, I'm a kid again discovering music. Life is good. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. It's just so iconic. Absolutely, and it, and there and there are these there are these very um, I, I don't know every some of the lyrics on this album feel very connected with with uh even even old protestant theology yeah. i think um i see jonathan edwards um uh sinners in the hands of an angry god i don't know if you ever read that yeah, old yeah. sermon right right um these these images of of um uh, being held over the flames in this song and and um trying to fight back and, and ultimately maybe being being captured or or uh recaptured by by the society yeah. um that's that's that maybe Corgan feels is, is pulling him in. Yeah. Um, and which ultimately I think did end up pulling him in sadly. Fair, fair point. <laughs> this is true. He's at least there. And then like back again and then back into it. Like, I feel like he's kind of all over the map depending on the, whatever year it is. Uh, and by the way, the pumpkins are touring this summer. <laughs> I saw that. Uh, almost the original lineup. Three of the four. Dar- is it really? Darcy's not going to be there. But yeah, the original drummer and then James is joining him for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, and we should we should note uh, this is a good time to do it yeah. in bullet, with butterfly wings. How essential to the Smashing Pumpkins, Jimmy Chamberlain? Yeah, is. man. Uh, 
Um, there, there would be no Smashing Pumpkin sound without Jimmy Chamberlain uh, behind behind the throne, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, he yeah. is he is a beast uh, on on uh, the drums. Listen back to I, I challenge all of you go listen back to Butter, Bullet with yes. Butterfly Wings and just listen to the drumming. It is absolutely mind blowing how how on top of it Chamberlain is. I was trying to read between the lines. I read through a bunch of Smashing Pumpkins bios and Wikipedia and then a bunch of articles on this album. And he is not brought up much. And I think reading between the lines, it's like he is Billy's guy. I right. And then when he uh, started, was it Zwan, the, the kind of super group that he did in between? I guess yep. post and, and pre Smashing Pumpkins uh, group <laughs> post and, post and pre pumpkins. pumpkins right? It was Juan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He was a part of that band too. And so I, I think him and Billy are like it almost seemed like James and Darcy were their own thing. And then, yeah. uh, and Billy and Chamberlain were kind of their own thing where it was like, they're together and Chamberlain's okay with Billy re-recording stuff. I mean, I never read a quote that said that. Right. But it was like, he never wanted, you never got another drummer to come in and do his parts or anything like that. So I, I don't know. I, not that I was like torn on anything. I'm just trying to read between the lines and cause there's so much drama with the pumpkins. <laughs> Like, <laughs> it's, it's almost unbelievable, right? And even Chamberlain wasn't immune because he left the band uh, be- before before Adore, and that's why Adore was an electronic record. Yeah, and then of course he ended up coming back, and God knows what was going on there. Yeah, well, he I, left the I band think I'd because he, not he over. Well, okay, never mind. <laughs> he overdid it with things. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there was some dark stuff. Uh, it was the. It was. I mean, when yeah, I'm not. It's it's rock and roll, right? I mean, lots of drugs, lots of bad things happen along with all of this amazing music, unfortunately. So, right. Well, yeah, yeah there's the price of art. Yeah, I guess messiness. so, man. Uh, and yeah, the, the line from this song is, can you fake it for just one more show? Which is kind of a, a, yep. a, a, a wink at the band, or I guess, or maybe a wink at himself. I don't know what it is. It's also, I don't know if you thought about this, but it's also a wink back to uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall uh, as well, where you have um, the string of songs, basically, basically um, this, this touring band, who oh, has made yeah. it and, 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 um, uh, comfortably numb is the Pink Floyd song, yep. right? Yeah, um, yeah. kind of, kind of a nod back to that idea. Oh, um, and then <laughs> by the way, uh, despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage is the, the seminal line from Jason Helms's valedictorian speech in high school. No, <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what, oh. what he like took that and made it mean in regards to his own high school career, but he did it somehow. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm I'm giving him a hard time for that. Please do it. Please, please do it. Oh my gosh. Okay, so yeah, seven, eight, and nine, uh, to forgive. Uh, and then we have a special song. Uh an ode to no one is what it's listed at in Spotify. But fuck you, track eight. Uh and then track nine, love. Uh which let's see. Anything to note of these three songs? Yeah, this is where uh as as a as a teenager going through this record, I didn't quite know what to do with with some of these songs. Obviously, obviously fuck you. Yeah. Can we can we say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can say okay. it. This okay. is, okay. It's, yeah. it's explicit, so, man. We can say it. Excellent. So uh fuck you and ode to no one is classic Corgan. Yeah. I I loved I loved that track and we can talk about that uh, a bit but uh, to forgive love and and coming into some of these later tracks I didn't quite know what was going on right because I yeah. I had purchased this having loved Siamese dream um and d- what what is going on with these with these weirder songs um 
where you start getting um, different guitar sounds, right? They get, they get some of them start slowing down. Yeah, um, it loves all over the map. Speed wise, it slows down. It has this big fuzzy phaser at the beginning, and it's this like marching beat. Like it's yeah, it's yeah. definitely very different and, than and, a lot of the stuff. And Corgan puts distortion on his voice as yes, well. Yeah, uh, on, on love. On an ode to no one, um, in in the liner notes, I still remember this. On I think it was on Pisces Iscariot, uh, Corgan's liner notes actually um, at the very end it says, "And a fuck you to all of you who will never understand." Of course, which is perfect for <laughs> a teenage, re- like a little teenager reading that, being like, "Yeah, parents, <laughs> yeah, you'll never get it." But you know, looking back, realizing he was in his twenties at the time, I, I'm like, oh, "Okay, I don't know what's going on with this yeah. guy," but hey. Uh, it was it was perfect for me when I was when I was uh, growing up, and this song just hits that sweet spot. I think, right? This this fist raising, yeah. uh, anti parent, anti establishment um, thing that Corgan did so well. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, yep. And then you brought up uh, Cupid Deluxe, track ten, right? As, as one that stood out to you. Yeah, I, I I wanted to talk about Cupid Deluxe just because it it exemplifies this this counter movement on the record uh, away from what had been the Pumpkins' bread and butter that I found so strange. Like I, I literally don't think I listened to this track the first 10 years I had this record. Same. Yeah. 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 Just cause I did not know what to do with this. There's a, there's a harp on this track and like chimes and nylon guitars. It's very light sounding. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very fluffy. Very. Um, I mean, I mean, it, it's, it's a song about Cupid. So it, it really does feel like we're floating on a cloud as we listen to this song. Cupid, Cupid has pulled back his sweetheart's bow it's this it's this chamber pop uh like i like i said like almost a fairy pop sort of a feel to right, the song right and uh and again if you haven't listened to this record in a while go back to this it it actually has i don't think it's aged badly i think it's a very um a very interesting uh, counter counter movement on the record um that yeah, yeah it, it is interesting how this this album is so diverse that you brought up something that I had not thought about, which is the fact that none of it sounds aged. And they're doing things that now are like, oh, this music could come out right now. And maybe not every single track could come out today. I'm trying to think of a song that couldn't. And uh, maybe they all could. I mean, this is 22 years, 23 years ago. And nothing, wow. nothing sounds right. like, other than the fact that it, it's hard to take this out of the 90s, right? Because it's such a big, influential album. It is, yeah. But if this album or songs that sounded exactly like these came out today, I don't think I'd bat an eye or say like, "Oh, that sounds so '90s," right? This it transcends 1995. It does, and and uh, especially a song like "Cupid Deluxe." Yeah. I mean, it, it it might actually have been received a lot a lot better had it been released in the last four or five years. It has it has this almost <laughs> it's got like hints of Joanna Newsom or something, and it's like I was just very like modest, weird. mousy almost, where it's like this yeah light, you have weird instruments you've never heard like happening just in the right side and like. It's kind of you're kind of floating through. I float on, obviously, but didn't mean to say that you're floating along the whole song, though. It's just like <laughs> oh, this is enjoyable, exactly. And and uh, and tw- and by the end, you've got like this sing along, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. It doesn't it doesn't seem like it should be coming off of a, of a Pumpkins record. And I think sometimes, um, I think the other reason uh, that I chose this record is I think sometimes we forget how dynamic uh, the Pumpkins yeah. could be, right? How how many hats they could wear, and. Um, 
this is a theory that I sort of formed as uh, as a touring musician, which was uh, we would see these bands play night after night who would just play the same sort of timbre of song, right? The same intensity yeah, of song yeah, over yeah. and over again. And after a couple of songs, your eyes just kind of glaze over, right? Your ears are just become oversensitized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as, as a, as a record progresses, I think, I think having these sort of dynamic moments, right? Where there's, there's a shrink and swell to the music. It's, it's loud and nasty. And then, and then you have this beautiful, movement and Cupid de Luck, uh, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a sorbet course or something, right? I mean, it's a, it's a palate cleanse. Yeah. And you um, don't want to have heavy song, light song, heavy song, light song. Cause then it's just, it's throwing you for a loop and it's really hard to pay attention to cause it's just so disjointing and, and, um, this, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, I was say disarming, but that's again, another Smashing Pumpkin song. <laughs> you can't escape can't. disorienting is what i'm thinking of. sorry it's so disorienting, disorienting yeah. but the fact that they they have these songs that are in between that kind of lead to and there's so many tracks that are heavy that end light that lead to a much lighter song i mean the way they organize yes. these songs it's it's hard to imagine the this objective list of 50 57 or 54 whatever it was however many 50 something songs and then just like cutting them out and rearranging them it almost seems like they were written together like this which i guess is points to why it's make, made the podcast right exactly yeah and and uh and i love i love that uh, no other uh, no other group could have uh could have done this and yeah. this is this is again maybe this is maybe one of those moments where we get beyond uh simple corkin yeah um on, on, on keep it to lock yeah 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 true all right then we have galapagos which is kind of building at least uh momentum wise building off of cupid and it's similar in the sense that it's kind of a slower and sentimental song but it builds up has some distorted guitars towards the end uh has that kind of 1979-ish feel which we, uh, we haven't talked about yet uh but that kind of poppy yeah. orchestral stuff going on but it doesn't have the the kind of drum machine pop of 1979 but that kind of feel where it's maybe it's the in-between song i was talking about where it's not definitely not the heavy grunge stuff but it's also not the lighter chime harp stuff yeah, it's. I'd put it in the same register as 1979 and uh, and tonight tonight. Yeah. It's this very. It's this very celebratory. It, it is. It is a little poppy. You, you know, you have this um, and rescue me from me and all that I believe. Right. Yeah. And some of the there are some rhythmic echoes of tonight tonight in this track as well. And then we have muzzle, which starts out almost like a classic rock song. Big old wide open electric guitar and just Corgan singing over him. It's it's a uh, it's a beautiful moment on the record, I think. Right, yeah. this again, again the 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 perfect the perfect song for you're a 13 year old kid, uh, about, middle school about to go into high school, and and you can just belt out with Billy Corgan. I fear that I am ordinary, just yeah. like everyone. Exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, one of the notes on Genius.com for this was that the lot for the lyric, uh, as all things must surely have have to end, and great loves will one day have to part. I know that I meant for this world. And that was apparently a lot of this song and a few other songs of this album were pointing to basically the fact that Corgan got divorced right after this album came out or soon after. Ooh. I was like, oh, okay. So a lot of that's just talking about the crap that's going on in his marriage. That's, <laughs> that's rough. I did not know that. That's fascinating. All great. Well, yeah, all great loves one day have to part. One day have to part. In death or in, uh, or in prenup or whatever. Right, exactly. Postnup. <laughs> First, <laughs> uh, and then moving on to Porcelina of the Vast Oceans. 
This has almost a um, tropical feeling. It sounds like yes. there's some congas or something in the back of of, uh, of this. It's it's really it's it's like beach music or something. I was I was thinking of like the feeling of like floating high and like just yeah. like flying by something. But yeah, it's kind of like tropical light acoustic picking going on. There's a lot of use of the stereo for the drums. There's like crash cymbals over here, light tapping of the cymbals on the left side. Uh, and then it has this big hit into this driving fuzz tone at one point. So the, the diversity of the album is, can be encapsulated into this track for sure. Musically. It can. And, and it, it goes back to what I was talking about with dynamics where you have um, the, the song almost begins in silence. You have a very, very slow lead in and be, beautiful melodically, Corgan's voice is actually much, much more muted here. It's um, he's, he's kind of in one of his more listenable modes singing very beautifully. And then, and the, yeah. And, and then it launches into this without a care in this whole world. And the, and the, and the, um, the grunge, the grunge fuzz just kicks yeah. back in. It's, it's great. The thing that stood out to me about this song, first of all, it's nine and a half minutes long. <laughs> yeah. It's a longer one. Yep. So and the other thing that stood out to me though, was that the, in the verses, the left side is entirely clean with clean guitars and clean drums and the right side is entirely distorted with distorted, not only distorted and like fuzzy off the wall guitars, but like gated peaking guitar or uh, drums as well. Yes. And yep. they're kind of going the whole time and they're both distracting and both like literally pulling you in opposite directions, right? Left and the right side. And then you have Corgan right in the middle, drawing everything together, which I thought was just a great, a great use of the, of clean and dirty. You usually you have one or the other. It's hard to have both at the same time. And, drawn that way completely it's just it's very distracting but also it's it's i think most people who aren't musicians wouldn't care like it's not distracting to the point that it's bad it's just distracting to someone who's trying to dissect the song and there's so much happening in those verses yeah and and again as a musician i i really really love this track uh for for its basically for its production value what you're talking about is uh, it goes back to flood right this is where we get beyond yeah. Butch Vig, right, right, and the big rock, and we get into the we we almost get into this Beatles studio album yeah. space where you see this band that's playing in the studio with what you know what if we what if we had two drum kits going at the same time and and uh, have almost this almost this uh, split personality of a song how would that how would that play yeah I I think it's an again an immensely it remains an immensely fresh track. Um, this is this is something that a lot of bands, uh, indie bands, started playing with in the in the early 2000s. Uh, the Pumpkins beat beat them to it by by a decade or so. Uh, and then we end the first half of the album on Take Me Down, which written and sung by James Eha. This is a James song. And, and uh, you can, uh, we started seeing James's personality on, uh, on the previous Pumpkins effort, uh, Pisces Iscariot. Um, he had, he sang one track on that album as well. Oh, okay. This is a sleepy, uh, sleepy little uh, lullaby of a track, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It reminded me of the last song, uh, Farewell and Goodnight. Exactly, and I, yeah. I think those two are echoes of each other. Do you know if do you know if I, uh, I also wrote the, yeah. the final track? Those are the two tracks. Everything's by Corgan except for those two tracks. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, so uh, I, I don't know these these two tracks sort of make this record for me. This quiet lullaby, um, 
celebration of of more of a band effort is is how I see it. And yeah. we'll talk about this when we get to the final track on yeah, the on yeah. the on the album. But yeah, yeah. And then we have the the second the second half of the album, the second um, volume. I don't know what you call it, but yeah, uh, the first track on that. Or the volume is a good record. I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is where boys fear to tread, which is this. I love the beginning where where it seems like every instrument is slowly coming in. Like it's almost like they're at a rehearsal space and they're getting their yes. instruments ready. Right, you hear a couple drum beats, you hear a couple guitars, some bass going on. They're all played separately for a good 20, 30 seconds, and then they all come in this just classic heavy pumpkins riff. It's beautiful, isn't it? And yeah. and uh, yeah, it's it's somewhere between like a classical warm up session and and like a like a jazz improvisation right um, time where everybody actually knows what everyone else is doing and there is sort of a choreographed dance to it, but it doesn't quite fit together. And I then, guess that's and a good a, way to put it because it's it's like it's almost like the first. It's a classic Pumpkins riff, but it feels like the first time they ever played it. Right? It's like the guitarist is like, "Hey, there's a cool riff," and he's looking around, <laughs> yeah. and everyone else is like, oh, "Okay, I'll play along to that." Like it totally feels like that. That's exactly right. It totally does. And uh, and then this this riff in Boys Fear to Tread is, I would say, one of the main reasons that I got so excited about the guitar. I just yeah. I just really nerded out on on learning and playing this riff. Uh, as as a kid and um i still think it's a great great guitar song yeah definitely and you have the classic the whiny corgan going on (laughs) (laughs) which i think to me is is maybe the main reason why i never got as into smashing pumpkins as as i kind of wanted to as a kid which sounds weird like i always wanted to but that was that one thing and i think it's that the whine of his voice that just kind of i couldn't quite latch onto it and make it as personal as as i always wanted to yeah, and I don't know. I don't know how to account for this. Um, yeah, you know, my my wife now. I put on the pumpkins, and she goes, "That guy's voice, man." And I'm like, <laughs> "I know, I know. It's it's super. Uh, it, it's not a good voice in certain ways, <laughs> man. Yeah. And, and in other ways, in other ways, it's uh, it's it's exactly what it needs to be. Yeah, especially in the in the space and the time that it occupied. I think. Yeah. Um, True. But but you know the other thing uh, about the voice is it's not only whiny but you you also have um, Corgan often this sort of uh, again this precious goth sort of 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 land where you have the apparently a character in the song uh, that is that is called Candy Cane right uh, Candy Cane walks down right you have you have Stumbleine you have Porcelina you have all of these all these very characters yeah yeah but but very. Um, Either, either I don't, I don't know, uh, steampunk, uh, goth. I'm not sure how how I would how I classify, but like rejected by society and and yes. popular culture characters at least. Very, right? very countercultural. And then we we only come out at night. We'll get to eventually, but that whole song is about that idea of like it's, exactly. it's not safe to come out unless unless everyone else is gone. Exactly. Yep. There's a and there is a there is sort of a a, a vampiric overtone to a lot of that. Yeah. True. Uh, I. And I was never a goth kid. I never wore black. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how I ended up being as drawn to, to some of this as I was, but yeah. Yeah, same. True. And Corgan always freaked me out. I think the, the bald head with the just like super pasty white. I was like, I don't, maybe that was part of it. Maybe it was just Corgan himself. I loved the music, but Corgan himself just freaked me out too much to kind of dive in. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think I think uh, in some way I've always sort of seen him in the back of my head as Milton Satan or um, any, anyone who knows Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. 
There's a character Gosh. in that book called the judge. Uh, the ju- the judge is seven feet tall, albino and bald. Um, and I think Billy Corgan would, would make a great, uh, I think, I think he, he should be casted for that role. I think he would make a great judge. <laughs> yeah. That's terrifying. That's terrifying. He, he always kind of scared me a little too. Maybe, maybe that was part of the fascination. Yeah. I don't know. I think also that he scared Darcy and James just as much too. always back that up a little bit. Like there was no one who's like, <laughs> Oh, me and Billy are hanging out and we're like, we're getting drunk at the bar after the, uh, after the award show or whatever like no that's the stories don't exist like billy goes home and writes music after the award show billy's billy's back in his lab filling vials with rabbit blood billy he's the larry bird of music where he's he's after the nba finals he's back shooting free throws that same night or whatever like he's just he doesn't want to make friends he just wants to win at music absolutely i think i think he was he was the kid uh, he was the kid in high school uh playing his guitar eight hours a day i mean i really do think yeah yeah for sure for sure. Because that's how you get this good. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then we have the next track. We have Bodies, which is this song and Where Boys Fear to Tread. Courtney Love claims both are about her. And Really? Uh, yes. I'm, uh, there's also a song called Love. Um, I don't think she claims that once about her, though. <laughs> but I looked it up. I, I couldn't find it on that one. But the um, the chorus to Bodies is Love is Suicide. Yes. And I don't know why she would want to claim that. About, I mean, I guess, obviously, that you have this coming off of the... The heels of, like we said earlier, Kurt Cobain's uh, suicide, or uh, I was going to say death. Apparent. Yeah, apparent. Yeah, we, yeah, exactly. We're, we were less than 10 at the time, around 10 at the time, so we can still claim the fact that uh, the conspiracy theory claim, because who knows what really <laughs> happened in that garage. Anyway, uh, anything else to say about Bodies? Just that it is it is an ugly song. Yeah, um, yeah. I love this song, but it is it is one of these. Um, it's kind of hinting forward at tales of a scorched earth. I think where you have this. Um, Billy was never really a metal screamer. He he, but he, yeah. he does. But he does have a sort of a, a wine scream on him. Yeah, <laughs> this, I'm not selling this track. I don't think, but it, it's a it's a. Um, and he, he his voice begins to break up right there's again distortion on his voice through these choruses um uh where he's where he's screaming love is suicide right um yeah it's a it's a it's a weird song i like it yeah he does a good job of of kind of encapsulating the lyrics in the the way that he's singing it, like you were just saying. I mean, this is a, a tragic song. This is a, a rough, brutal song in the lyric, lyrically, and I guess musically too. But the, he's not just singing it in the classic Corgan voice. He's pushing himself no. to kind of make it sound rough and brutal. It, yeah, it's something as as a musician, as a singer, that's something that I'm really bad at. So I am able to acknowledge, like, oh, he's doing what I've been trying to do my whole life really, really well. <laughs> Yeah, and he is—he is—he's uh, actually getting a little bit of a growl out of his voice. Yeah, which is—we uh, don't—we don't hear that a whole lot. It's—it's it's yeah. I, I actually actually I dig it. Um, I think I think it's a good I think it's a good thing for his voice. Um, yeah, I wish we could hear that more. True. And we should also note that at about the two minute mark, uh, we once again have one of these dynamic moments that even though we have this loud, ugly song, uh, we 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 kind of come back down and have a very beautiful little um, bridge interlude uh, before it kicks back back into the back into the chorus this one has like the drippy reverby uh, 
just a clean electric guitar going on. Just him and that voice going on. Yeah, yeah, sure. exactly. And, and I think it's I think it's James actually who's chanting, maybe with Billy. Oh, back to him. Chanting back behind. Yeah. Oh man, I'm sure live that's how they do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and then we have 33, which is this acoustic guitar, sitar, pianos. Again, one of the kind of lighter tracks on the album. Absolutely. Um, I've always I've always loved this song. Um, it's it's as far as, far as uh, the pumpkins go, this is a this is an easy listening track, and lyrically, I I think that this is one of the stronger songs on the record as well. Um, we have this the the earth laughs beneath my heavy yeah. feet. Uh, this 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 idea of of, uh, of heaviness and lightness in the song is is pretty interesting. As the clouds drifts greet me once again. Yeah, yeah, a lot of biblical imagery, uh, and it's this was the first track recorded for the album and mastered for the album. They recorded it like I, I think they they wrote it and recorded most of it while still doing the Siamese Dream tour, mm. uh, and they yeah knew that it was made for the album from day one. And yeah, the chorus is, and you can make it last forever. You can make it last forever. You can make it last. And it's Corgan was talking about the idea that. Uh, or I guess his quote about the song is, I was fine with the idea of never growing up, but death seemed unavoidable. The death of youth, the death of innocence. Uh, and Jesus was, you know, according to the Bible, Jesus was 33 when he died, uh, when he was crucified on the cross. And a lot of the imagery from this is seemingly about that. Uh, uh, I is that never, not where you were? I had never made that connection. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. I love it. Lo- love no, it. I didn't know if it was something that was like, oh, like as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, of course it's about that. But I didn't realize that it could be about other things. Yeah, you know, uh, and again, <laughs> I um, I think that because I came to this record so early, um, there there are certain of these tracks yeah. that I just I just sort of I just sort of let them happen and don't and don't think too much uh, about what's happening sure. directly behind them, which may seem odd uh, for sure. For yeah, no, I get in that. my line of work, but um, <laughs> I know I'll make it. <laughs> Love can last True. forever. Graceful swans of nev- never topple to the earth is the lyric. Yeah. Um, tomorrow's just an excuse. Yeah, it's a, it's a, um, I just, I just kind of, the, I saw the death and the loss of innocence that, that just, that, that is infused into this entire record. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, I, I love the biblical illusion, of course. I, I see it now that you pointed out. Yeah, that's a beautiful song. Uh, and then we have In the Arms of Sleep, which I think is the only 6-8 song on the whole album that I could point out, that I could pick out at least. But in this, again, back to the theremins, ballad kind of song. Another, I guess, kind of a whiny Corgan ballad. <laughs> I think you're right. I think this is the this is the only swingy song, right? This this sort of six eight yeah. swinging tempo. Um, back in the lullaby mode, I would say, don't you think? Um, yeah, it's it's a great track. I I, uh, I love this. Um, <laughs> there's there's a there's this three section three song section of this uh, CD where you have thirty three in the arms of sleep in 1979. That is, is a very yeah. soothing little run of songs but of course it's bookended by bodies and tales of the scorched earth <laughs> nice that's a good call man yeah 1979 i i hated this song growing up really and only because i was learning drums and learning like guitar and music drums was my thing and the intro comes in it has this drum machine kind of like quick little catchy drum machine fill 
four bars of it, and the one of the actual song comes in on the fifteenth note of that last bar. So just yeah. like a sixteenth note early. And I sat down and listened to it like five times in a row right before this podcast just to see if I could finally time it with just like snapping my fingers to find the one. <laughs> and you, the only way to do it is to count one E and a two E and a three E and a four E, like to get that 15th. Yes. And it is so frustrating. But you're right. It does. It does. <laughs> it's like a thorn in, in the side yes. of, uh, of someone who is, is musically inclined. I think I, obviously it's done on purpose. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I would assume so too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But especially someone who's like, who had no idea what a 15th note was. <laughs> when I was whatever, 13, learning drums. I was just you just like, heard why that it was wrong. I can never find the one. I love the intro and I love the song, but why can I never line them up? I always thought I was just doing it wrong. And I, oh my God. <laughs> But yeah, this is one of the biggest songs I've ever had. A classic kind of acoustic pop jam, really. If you didn't know any other uh, Smashing Pumpkin songs and someone played you this, would be like, oh yeah, it's it's like uh, an acoustic pop jam from the 90s, right? This is very 90s pop music, it almost seems like. And it's it's still weird to me that this is Pumpkins, because it almost seems like a cover. It does, isn't it? I mean, the, the, the Pumpkins, um, if you haven't heard any of their covers, they, they actually are... Um They've done some really wonderful covers. I don't think I have. Other than um, Fleetwood Mac's song. Oh, of course. Um, Landslide. <laughs> yes, Landslide. Which, again, uh, gives gives Stevie Nicks a run for her money. doesn't quite get there, but it's, it's, yeah, a, it's, a, it's a lovely, lovely cover. Um, but yeah, this this does have that feel. And the nostalgia uh, drips from it as well, right? The, the 1979. Oh, for sure. Being young, being in love feeling as if you were cool uh whatever yeah. right whatever that means yeah um, exactly the elusive cool the elusive cool <laughs> um and and the elusiveness of love i think which which yeah. comes back um in the in the uh in the second in the second verse of the song talking about hanging uh hanging with all of the the freaks and goons right yeah. again we have this sort of out like the, this polarity of being outcast but also um, but also uh, being being one of the cool kids, I guess. Right, um, right, yeah. And then and then at the end, uh, and I, I don't know if it's love or if it's friendship, or but just just this this uh, this wonderful. Um, I think the tale of growing up, right? Uh, no apologies ever need be made. I know you better than you fake it. Um, yeah. This this idea of of relationships, how they evolve as as we grow up and and um, continue to know each other. And love each other, even if we even if we fake uh, not being yeah. in that place. Yeah, it's it's, it. it's great, it's lovely. It's, such a, it's nothing to nothing to dislike about this song, really, <laughs> except for the no. intro. <laughs> no, go listen to it now. It's really- oh man, it's so good. And this was apparently the last song, according to Corgan. This was the last song they recorded for the album. This this they had a demo of this song that was in that list of fifty seven songs. That they're like, should we make this song? And Flood was like, okay, this song isn't good enough to make our final list of twenty eight. Oh, Corbin's wow. like, all right, give me a day. He re- recorded, re-recorded the entire song, put the drums to it for the first time, and if as soon as Flood heard it, it was like, yeah, this is making the album, and it became their highest charting single ever. <laughs> Almost <laughs> didn't make the album though. I love that. I love that too. And and we should note before we move on that that despite the uh, we, we've been talking about you know uh, the, this nostalgia, but the the record also looks 
forward into the into the melancholy of the uh, of the future, mm-hmm. and and we don't care to shake these zipper blues, whatever zipper blues are. I love I love that. I I just love that odd associated pairing of words. And we don't know where our bones will rest to dust, I guess, forgotten and absorbed to the earth below. Um, not quite as happy as the song sounds. It's but but there's true. Um, Maybe there's, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's a, a moment where, where Corgan's at peace uh, with that fate or something. I'm not sure. Yep, yep. Uh, and then we have Tales of Scorched Earth, the 20th track. Uh, and this, again, was the one kind of like Jelly Belly to me is what people who don't know rock music really well or Smashing Pumpkins really well would associate with them, right? It's distorted everything, like guitars, vocals, drums, bass, everything is just peaking. It has that whiny chorus and almost the like inaudible vocals in the sense that they're just like screaming so much yeah you can't hear any lyrics yeah yeah and it has these huge guitars and then everything at the end it sounds like it's breaking like, it sounds it like their amps are on fire. And I got to tell you, I actually, uh, again, when I first got this record, this is one of those tracks that was too much for me. Um, oh, yeah. So, so sure. I, would actually, I would actually slightly disagree in, in saying that I, I, I wanted uh, Fuck You and Odenoa and I wanted Jelly Belly. But okay. this, one, this one took it too far for me. It was, oh, too, wow. it was too metal. It went beyond gotcha. like the normal grunge uh, Big Muff distortion and went into... I don't know. It went in, it went into uh, the the realm of uh, full on metal, uh, at, le- at least as an early listener. And I, I think I think I still agree with that. And I, elements of noise rock for sure, right? Where yes, th- absolutely. All you can hear are him screaming and and static at some points. And there's a there's a static solo. There's just a, a yeah. the, the fuzz and and uh, and and static have been. I think there's probably a noise generator on the guitar too. Something man yeah. have just been turned up to eleven uh, through the solo of of the song, and it's just it's just nasty. Perfect name for the song too. Tales of a scorched oh. earth. So good. You know exactly what it's going to be as soon Perfect. as you hear the song. Yeah. And for me, it, it rounds out the diversity of the track list. So we have everything from the harps of Cupid Deluxe to right. to to literally just damage your vocal cords, screaming with distortion on your mic. Yeah, balls to the wall on this one for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, track twenty one through the eyes of Ruby, uh, and this is the this is the one that is walls of guitar, but not in the way that Tales of Scorched Earth is walls of guitar. Right? This is. This reportedly had over 70 guitar tracks on this song. Wow. Layered on top of each other. Layered on top. It's seven and a half minutes long, so I'm guessing not the entire time, but just throughout, right? 70 different takes of guitar in there at some point. Uh, it has this like light piano with like a harpsichord maybe, some, or maybe just a tiny piano. Yeah. Uh, with light picking, some nylon, some acoustic guitar. And it's uh, the way that I read the lyrics uh, and it seemed like I think ingenious.com told me this actually it was kind of a seven minute ballad to his soon to be ex-wife about not necessarily a ballad about love but a ballad about all of the troubles in the relationship And again, it's a, uh, a song of growing and and um, and changing, and maybe being being nostalgic, but also looking ahead. 
Uh, yeah. and, and, and maybe being melancholy about that. <laughs> yeah. But this wall of the wall of guitars in this song returns to this to this floating, yeah, um, melodic sensibility. Right. You've you've got these big guitars, but they are they are doing something really melodic and really big um, throughout, throughout right. the throughout the um, the intro and and the and the main sections of the song. And and then, <laughs> I, do you remember? Do you remember uh, phase and flange pedals? For sure. Oh yeah. And Definitely. that's what's that's what's going on through the verses of this song. Oh, yeah. Just this very a lot of frequencies. Yeah, well, for sure. <laughs> Cycling yep. through all the frequencies. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that I read this this quote from Corgan that is not super flattering, but I'm going to read it. <clears throat> and he said he he recorded the main uh, guitar parts and the vocal parts to this song, and then gave it to to Darcy and to James to kind of be like, hey, could you fill this up with other bass and guitar parts? Uh, and the quote is because my attention was elsewhere on other tunes, preparation of the guitar overdubs was handed off to my bandmates, who spent a week coming up with very little between them. With our time running out, I added something in the neighborhood of 54 more guitar parts in <laughs> the span of four hours. If for nothing else than to show my frustration with them in spite. Not necessarily inspired ways of communication, but effective nonetheless. <laughs> okay. Cool. That bas- That's Corgan in an interview talking about this. Or maybe it's even, the, uh, that might be from the liner notes, I think, actually. Yes, that is from the liner notes of the 2012 remaster. Wow. So that's not like some secret or someone like a friend of his disclosed. Like that's him telling to the public, hey, I at least at the time was an a-hole. It's <laughs> <laughs> you, pretty messed up. You asshole. I, uh, <laughs> I am glad. I'm glad he did that. But I, right, right. I hate, I hate, I hate that he had to do it that way. <laughs> That's how I feel about the color and the shape, Foo Fighters. I mean, it's yes. Dave Grohl went through. I want to say it's fourteen tracks. All but two of them, he went back and recorded all of the drum parts again. While the drummer was back in Seattle, they were recorded in L.A. and didn't tell him until the album came out. That's right. I actually remember that story like, too. That's messed up. The drummer quit the band shortly after. Of course, these crazy perfectionists. Um, oh my gosh! And of course, that's that's the album that did. It. Oh, guys, they have a lot of albums that did it, but that's one of their best-selling albums of all time. Oh, uh, all right, back to the pumpkins. <laughs> and you've got uh, Corgan uh, crooning another of his of his great uh, lines for for the teenage uh, us. The which is, youth is wasted on the young, right? Yes, great, great lyric from this song. Yeah, and then we have stumbling. Twenty mm. uh, second track, and this is an, another a kind of acoustic ballad led song. I read the lyrics once, didn't know what it was about. Went to Genius, and it, it's the the line is Sally's in stirrups, claiming her destiny is at least allusions to teenage pregnancy. Yes. Talking about that. And a lot of misunderstandings, whether whether it's about an abortion, teenage abortion, or a teenager giving birth. Either way, obviously some you know a lot of the lyrics can, can be read as either one of those. Yep. All all my all my dreams lost at sea, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a song of lost dreams of of maybe disappointed hopes. Um yeah, may, and because of uh Obviously, some sort of some sort of sexual uh, dalliance, <laughs> right? Or it, it could be about that. It could be about the fact that you're having an abortion, right? And this is a lost dream of 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 the aborted child. Or it could be about the fact that I'm a parent now, and all of my dreams of being single and like having a career or having whatever these things that I have are at the very least changed because of having of giving birth, right? Of having this thing. So absolutely, c- could be read in a lot of different ways. But yeah, which I guess is what makes it. One of the reasons it makes it good art is the fact that it can apply to so many different things. Absolutely, yeah. Misspent youth, um, yeah. 
He's a lyric. And again, if people haven't listened to this track in a while, or maybe, maybe they've never made it this far. Uh, because again, I, uh, when I was younger, I didn't make it into the second half of the second CD, right? I listened, I listened mm. to the hits and I, and I, and I got to tales yeah. of the scorched earth and went, what is this? I don't know. But Stumbling is a beautiful song. Um, the, the, the acoustic guitar, um, it's a picking part and it's, um, yeah. it's a, it's a really clever piece of guitar writing, I think. Uh, and, and, uh, and it's one of Corgan's prettier vocal moments on the record too, I think. Yeah, it's. I, th- I think when we think of catchy songs, we think of the chorus, right? The yep. hook. But I think writing songs where the guitar part or any other musical part besides the voice that's the catchy part of the song, it really really stands out here for sure. And that that's that's the rare thing to do. But that's the, that's the thing that sticks out to me in this song for sure. It's the kind of catchy guitar lead, acoustic guitar lead. Yep. Sally's in the stirrups, claiming her own destiny. Corgan said again in those 2012 liner notes that this was the this was the demo. This is the only song that was actually the demo he recorded at his house, and it passed as the final version. They didn't end up re-recording it at all. Wow, I'm glad. I'm glad. That, cool. And again, this is one of those songs. There's a lot of production on this record. There's a lot of polish. There's yeah. a lot of well, as we said, there's yeah. uh, 54 guitars overdone on one track. Here, there's right. one. Right, there's one guitar, one voice. It, right. it works. It works perfectly. Yeah, definitely. Definitely speaks to the diversity of the album for sure. Uh, and then XYU, just kind of like seven minutes. Uh, the note I took was brutal riffage. Brutal riffage. <laughs> uh, this is another one of those just awesome uh, guitar melodies. Uh, yeah. di- but again, distorted, nasty guitar melodies from the Pumpkins. Riffage. I love it. <laughs> Brutal and slow, but also just like headbangy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven minutes of it, man. Ooh. Yeah, and this is another one of those tracks that I that I just kind of get a little scared of Corgan on, where he starts yeah. talking about uh, Mary. Had a, he like retells the Mary had a little lamb story, and it gets all sorts of dark, dark turns to that, That's and he true. starts screaming. It's yeah, it's it gets weird. Yeah, <laughs> it gets weird. It gets weird. All right, next track. <laughs> this is what we talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, we only come out at night, which has the weird like a drum machine with like frog croaky. I don't even know what instrument that is. With I looked it up, I, I thought it was going to be what's the thing that June Carter played? Uh, auto harp. And I thought it was an auto harp, the thing that he's just stringing. I always thought this was an. I thought this was an auto harp. So the story behind the song, actually the entire song, is that uh, Corgan bought a zither at like some random shop or whatever. He went in, and all his friends made fun of him because they're like, "You're never going to play that." So to prove them wrong, he wrote this song <laughs> with the zither. And it's a song about only coming out at night, right? It's a song about when you come out during the day, basically you're ridiculed by people, his friends making fun of him for buying this thing. <laughs> so he goes into this dark room and plays it. So he only come out at night, which I thought was just a perfect use of that. that I great. love it. And he, and he cool? somehow gets a, a really great sound out of the thing. And there's a, I, I honestly got thought this was an auto harp. Um, Same, yeah. But it's actually more impressive because uh, on an auto harp, uh, modulating chords and keys is much easier. This song, especially toward the end, changes keys repeatedly. Um, and so, really? yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, wow, I didn't even know Yeah, that. it's impressive that he's able to do that on a strange instrument. We only come out at night. We only come out at night. Yeah, it was a funky. I've, I've had the 
was gonna say pleasure. I've had the opportunity to play a zither one time, and it was like, oh, I was like, oh, I play guitar, I can play a zither. I was like, no, no, no these <laughs> these are different things. Just because they have strings, do not mean they're the same. Yeah, and this this song actually um, is another one of the ones that when I was a kid, I I I did not know what to do with. Actually, the last the last five tracks on this record, I would say I never listened to. I was like, well, this is not the Smashing Pumpkins. What are they doing? And I, I think these maybe have aged uh, better than the rest of the record, even. Um, oh, again, if you haven't gone back and listened to these tracks, I think I think that they strike me as being still very, very fresh. They don't they don't have that '90s feel to them. They don't have any feel to them. They're just they're just good, strange songs. In, in fact, the next song, uh, "Beautiful," the twenty fifth song. Yep, uh, Corgan said that it was his nod to the Beatles. He said he'd be remiss to write a double album and not have any of them be at least some sort of allusion to the Beatles, which after listening to the song and him saying that, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's very slow, melodical, very straightforward drums, lots of harmonies and and vocal melodies going on at the same time. Yeah. With some of the little simple piano parts and, and the, and the, it's a little more soulful than the Beatles. I think I actually heard a little Prince here. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's true. Or, um, I, I had never read that nod to the Beatles. And, um, if you if you listen to the track, you can also hear. I think it's Darcy that sings this track along with him. Okay, so it's it's also kind of a kind of a sing along. Um, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. also For not me. not always in the Smashing Pumpkins uh, repertoire, right? They they are. I think it works really well. I really like this track a lot. Yeah, and we have one other coming up where it's a few people singing at the same time, exactly. too. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, the 26th track, Lily, My One and Only, uh, which is another swing kind of beat, not necessarily 6-8, but that kind of swing, sing-songy, folky type uh, with like a... It reminded me of the Decemberists or Absolutely. even like Violent Femmes where it had that that big reverby bass drum on the one like every time right just carrying the beat throughout the whole song almost like circus like and it, it is it, it it nods forward to a lot of the like elephant six indie that was happening in the early yeah, 2000s yeah. very carnival sounding but I, I believe it's about a peeping tom <laughs> it is it actually reminded me of that line that george mcfly <laughs> when marty mcfly says to his dad you're a peeping tom That's the line that came to my head when i was reading about it. it's a song about voyeurism right and, it is and a guy Watching a woman through the window shades or the blinds or whatever, and then getting like carried off at the end, <laughs> saying like, "I swear, I saw her wave to me." Yeah, yeah, not your normal yeah. love song for sure. Yeah, it, it sounds for the for the whole thing, it sounds like a normal love song. Um, right, right. Or it's a lover pining for right this girl, and then yeah, and then the watching my song, beautiful love, and it, the yeah. cops are dragging him away, and oh. she 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 raises her hand and waves goodbye. So creepy. So creepy. So creepy. But such a great turn, too, at the same time. Great, great song, though. Yeah. 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 Because there's a dragon me away. I swear I saw raise her hand and wave goodbye. Uh, And then we have By Starlight. Uh, This is a, uh, actually comes in with with a lot of, heavy synth pads which again is not yeah. necessarily in the pumpkins vocabulary as we think of, as we think of what they're known for but it it's uh it's almost a distorted synth pad um and again we have we actually back have that pink floyd feel 
It does definitely have a Pink Floyd feel. And we have uh, some sort of a, um, something's been laid onto the snare drum here where um, when Jimmy hits the snare, we also have a, um, a tonal synth tone that happens. That's that's really, uh, that really, I think, makes the song for me. It's, it's weird. Uh, I've never heard anybody else do anything quite like this. Now listening to it, it just seems like whenever I write things, to make this about me, whenever, <laughs> whenever I write something, I'm like, oh, that'll be a cool uh, sample or that'll be a cool thing to have every time the snare hits or something. I'm like, it just feels like it's annoying after 30 seconds. Yes. And this does it in a way that's melodic and kind of, um, it's like some sort of like trance it puts you in where it just seems like, oh, that's just the snare. It is. It, even, it, even it, it blends is with the snare. Almost, almost making it have like the effect of a timpani or something, or like a kettle right, drum. Right, I, I don't right. know. It's it's like a tonal drum, um, but it's obviously a, some sort of an electronic uh, layover. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to figure out if it's Corgan saying something, or if it is a synth, or what it is. It might be like five things layered together. Who knows? But yeah, yeah. it's yeah. very unique. And it's Man. and it's again a, a classic Pumpkins love song where where it's I, I definitely think this is a love song but it the chorus is dead eyes dead eyes are you just like me her eyes were as vacant as the sea um, oh my gosh it goes back to that like goth i'm the outcast but i'm the cool kid you're all the outcast not me That's yeah exactly feeling. which which again we should acknowledge that that as as time has passed and as as uh, you know we're into 2018 that those attitudes have have become problematic in all sorts of ways but it, it, in the world that this came into uh it was something that was necessary yeah especially that for us at that stage of life definitely going that, through our, and our that, preteens into mean. teens yeah 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 not necessarily for the 90s as a whole right <laughs> right yeah. right that wasn't great but anyway uh the last track on the album the 28th track farewell and good night written uh and and sung by james eha at least sung by james darcy and billy all together different parts of the song that kind of come in and out absolutely and we have um we have them taking like alternating verses and then singing the choruses uh in unison i believe is how they did it and it's mm-hmm. um it's a gorgeous uh again this is in that lullaby mode that we've talked about and um I, I see this as being almost a, a completely uplifting song, right? We have all these dark and, um, uh, you know, sort of sad, nostalgic, um, angst-filled moments on the record. And this um, this just sort of points forward in a, in a hopeful way, I think. It's, yeah, it's very beautiful. It reminds me of the first song on the album, for sure. But it has these bongos, acoustic guitars, very lullaby-ish. I think that's the kind of the buzzword whenever we talk about this song or the first song. Uh, and it has this beautiful solo piano that just kind of echoes the melody as, as the track slowly ends at the four and a half minutes into it. It does. Yeah. And, and we have, we have the, the shaker also behind the song, giving this right. a, um, the ocean comes back. We've, we've talked about the ocean a lot and talking about this record. Uh, and then, as you said, the, the, the sun setting with the, the, that piano part being inverted from where it started uh, at the beginning of the record. Yeah. That was a long album. <laughs> man, it's a long album. <laughs> All right, sorry, I, sorry for picking a beast of a record. I know, man. Yeah, we're pushing an hour and a half here. So I have yeah. two questions left for you, though, about this album. Okay. 
Uh, and one is, okay, so we talked about they had 57 songs to pick from to make this album. They whittled it down to 28. Yep. Do you think this album would work even better if they'd kept cutting it down to you know 12, 14 tracks, something like that to keep it on one one single jewel case? <laughs> or, or maybe why why wouldn't they? Why do you agree with the fact that they're left at 28? You know, I think that if you'd asked me this uh, when I was a teenager, I would have said, absolutely, I don't know what they were doing. I think that they should have just chosen the, they could have taken those six hits and a couple more songs, uh, maybe like, like uh, you know, like classic pumpkin songs, like Fuck You, maybe like Porcelina, like Through the Eyes of Ruby, and made one really, really... Get rid of that Zither song, right? Exactly, yeah. One really <laughs> cohesive pumpkins record yeah and and i i think i think that uh you know this was this was a this was a period where um albums were getting a lot more monolithic and a lot more mm-hmm. um um i guess consumer driven and I, yeah. I think i think the pumpkins here said hey guys you don't you don't know what you want we're gonna make we're gonna go back to the 70s we're gonna we're gonna make a uh, we're going to make a white album or a or a the wall right and and uh and give you a bunch of it's it's not filler. Uh, there's no filler on this record. Uh, we're we're just going to give you a lot of different kinds of songs and show you what we're capable of as songwriters. So no, I I don't I don't wish that it was that it was condensed. Um, I'm I'm really glad that we have all of these tracks. I'm glad that they stopped at 28. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, if if you were to push me really hard and and ask me like could could a few songs be cut? Uh, I'm I I don't know. I don't know what I would w- want to cut. Sure. It's a it's a double album and maybe uh you know I I, I think um Outcast released their their speaker box Love Below uh five or six years after this and I can't think of a double record that's been released since then. I mean I think I think that this was sort of the last gasp of of um of something that was possible for a long time, you know, for maybe 20, 20 or 30 years, we could have this sort of artsy exploration of, of everything that a band is kind of wanting to do. Yeah. And, and, uh, and they got to do that and they get, and it got to be on the radio, a lot of it. Yeah, and a lot of the a diversity of even made it through to the radio. And then, and then real fans got to, got to hear some of this weird crap that they were working on. Um, a lot of which I ended up falling in love with as I spent, you know, uh, two decades with this record. I fell I fell in love with a lot of these weird, like that second half of the second CD mm. that, that, uh, that I didn't even touch for the first decade that I had it. Um, I've fallen in love with. So I'm glad we have it all. I wonder how many people heard 1979 and Tonight Tonight and were like, oh my gosh, this new Smashing Pumpkins band is just this nice, <laughs> like melodic, nice uh, pop rock stuff. I'll go get that. And then they, they turn it on, hear Melancholy and Infinite Sadness, the first track. And they're like, yeah, this is nice. This is really <laughs> light. Tonight Tonight comes on. They're like, yeah, this is, I, I'm so excited for the next 26 tracks. And then Jelly Belly hits them in the face. Exactly. Or they, or they go straight to their favorite song, 1979. It ends and tells uh, oh. the scorched earth is the next track. I didn't realize both of those, those songs that I was saying were kind of like the archetypal or stereotypical Pumpkins tracks musically were yeah. right after the two of the poppiest, poppiest, lightest ones. And that's I, funny. I, I can't imagine that that's not oh. on purpose, right? Like, hey, you, you think you love us? All right, you're going to love all of us. <laughs> or if you're a Pumpkins fan, you're like, no, no, no. It's okay, guys. Come back. We're, we're not we're not pop. We're not, You'll get we're this. Not, You'll get this. We we're not sellouts. <laughs> Dig deep down and find the anger. Dig exactly. deep for that anger. Oh, my gosh. All right. A couple questions for you personally. All right. Okay. So in, in researching melancholy and the whole album and the pumpkins and get diving into billy corgan's soul 
Uh, I also did a little research on you. Oh. Uh, into your interests, your website, and your musical history. By the way, you're all over Spotify. So that was great to just have all that convenience. Oh, that's there. fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you've been in a few bands, Goodfellow, Ethan Durrell, and Holy Fiction. Uh, and are any of them going on still, or are they all, all defunct at this point? All of them are defunct at this point. Okay, um, okay. Goodfellow was a one a one EP project uh, that, okay. that I did with a with a couple of good friends. Uh, Ethan Durrell was my most serious project. Uh, that band went for about eight years, uh, eight or nine years. Big uh, enough. Hey, there is a trailer for your farewell show DVD and two part LP on YouTube. By the way, <laughs> yeah, so we, it's a pretty. I figured they were pretty big when I saw that. We were we were uh, big in our small circles. Um, we 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 uh, we played. Um, Texas in the Midwest, uh, quite a bit. Um, that's awesome. And, uh, yeah, get, went on, went on some tours and, and had a lot of fun, but yeah, that, that ended in 2000, I guess we released our last record in 2010, uh, and Holy Fiction kind of picked up uh, after that. And, uh, some of the we, similar band members, right? Yeah. Uh, Evan, Evan Lecker and I, uh, were, were, uh, he's, he's the, he's the singer, uh, and guitarist and, and, uh, and I, I came over to that project with him and, uh, we released a couple albums and, um, again, People people started having kids and and having new sure, careers and we sure. just kind of we just kind of got busy and had to hang it up. But uh, we all you know we all still play music and and who knows maybe one of these days we'll we'll uh, we'll get we'll get some more uh, music going. Yeah, yeah, and I, I know Holy Fiction with the most recent project doesn't have like the grunge metalness of Pumpkins. It does have some distorted guitars here and there, uh, along with Ethan Durrell as, as well, actually. Uh, but I did notice the track. I actually went through and listened to a couple, of, couple of these songs. Uh, I, I noticed the track uh, "Out on the Roof" has some fuzzy guitars going on. Oh yeah, uh, as, as well as some strings at the as, uh, throughout, but also at the end, like some orchestral stuff going on to kind of build it up. Uh, "Field Life" has layers of acoustic guitars with again more of that orchestra symphony stuff. Tell me how this album affected you, whether it was in Holy Fiction or any of these other bands, or even just separately what affected you and your art whether it was in the writing process playing them live or kind of you know how you mixed records absolutely so this is one of uh, the reasons that i chose this record because because again it's one of the very first records i ever got i got it the same year i got my electric guitar and i i think i think there was a i think there was a huge influence in in not necessarily in any given tone or even or even um the style of the music uh, if if uh, if anybody goes and listens to holy fiction or the smashing uh, or the smashing pumpkins if anybody, go, anybody goes and listens to holy fiction or ethan durrell <laughs> yeah yeah you you will find that it's uh ethan durrell is indie rock holy fiction is is some sort of indie pop um it, there's some 80s throwback moments even in holy fiction uh very very different and and i, I gotta I think say that, benny off though real quick yes yeah I, as soon as I heard Benioff, I was like, all right, there's the little Smashing Pumpkins riff going on. It might not be the same heaviness or like that deep, distorted fuzz, but at least the riffage is there in the intro. Oh, the Benioff. riffage is there. And Ethan Durrell sure. definitely partook in some riffage. Nice. Uh, and, and, and here's the thing is that, is that when, when we first started playing, the thing, the thing that interested me in these guys, I should say, unlike the Pumpkins, uh, the, these are these are records that were written collaboratively and and mm-hmm. even even cool. out of out of jam um, out of jam sessions basically is how nice. is how especially Ethan Durrell we wrote music out of jam sessions and uh, and uh, I think what interested me in these guys is that the 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 same dynamic that exists in the in the in the Pumpkins music existed here uh, especially in Ethan Durrell taking taking the record from 
a really quiet lullaby like song to something that like Betty off that is loud in your face, riffy, um, going, going from yelling to, uh, to, to some sort of like a sing-along. Right. Uh, and, and those, and those, those different movements within a single record, I think is the single biggest, uh, influence that the pumpkins that I took from 1995 mm-hmm. to 2005. Right. Sure, um, sure. Yeah. You wouldn't say that you went back and recorded all the other guys' parts, uh, when you, I w- when you mixed it up. <laughs> I, I would, I would say that I, I did you didn't not, take that nor, part. <laughs> Nor would I have even remotely been able to. Uh, good, good, good. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad, glad to see you didn't take that part of, of Corgan's uh, history with you. Which is which is how which, a band should be. Uh, which didn't happen should. on this album, so it's, it's perfect. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then any other musical exploits or, or planning or anything like that you're involved in that uh, you want to let people know about? Or any you know places they can find you, things that they can look up to keep in touch with you? Man, these days I am uh, mostly just writing, writing and publishing poems and okay. teaching. Uh, I do, I do have a website where you can find my 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 poetry. You can find all this old music. I, I've I've got yeah. all that on there for free. It's on Spotify too, but I just put I just threw it up on the site as well. It's tjmclemore.com. It's tjmclemore.com. Yep. Um, you can find me and uh, even contact me through that site. And uh, you're, I'll link to your Twitter as well, which you're not the most active Twitter user, at least poster, but you do post some of your uh, published poetry, which will make sure people can, can find that if they want to find that. I do. Yeah, I, I, have, a, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. Sorry, everybody. Yep. Fair. No, I think that's probably healthy. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining, joining us, joining me. Uh, it was a pleasure to dive back into this album. Uh, and I'm sure we'll, we'll catch you on another Overthink podcast at some point. Ben, thanks, man. I, I really enjoyed taking this taking this uh, deep dive back into the 90s. <laughs> Definitely. Man. All right. See ya. Okay, see ya.